0: Now, here's your host, founder and CEO of Optimus Futures, Matt Zimberg.
1: Hi guys, this is Matt Z from Optimus Futures and i uh, very, very privileged to have Jack Schwager here with us. First of all, he's a legend in the industry. You guys know that. But I don't know anybody else in this industry who has actually given traders more practical advice there's a lot of educators out there and there's a lot of academics out there and there's a lot of technicians and fundamentalists and all kinds of stuff and when i listen to jack he says it like it is because whatever he says i see it with real traders so i brought him here today and he asked me specifically not to give him the questions ahead of time which was a really really nice surprise and What I think about that is because all the answers will be authentic. They won't be prepared. He will say just like it is. And Jack, I want to show you something. About 20 years ago, over 20 years ago, when I started in the industry, my friends gave me your book, Uh my friend, okay? And it's Swagger and Futures Technical Analysis. One of the best books I've read. I still have it today. Um, They dedicated... This book to me, as you see here, but uh-huh. it's missing It's missing your signature. So hopefully when you'll be here in Boca, you'll come and sign it. So let's start with the questions, okay? And I'm going to ask Jack questions that I hope will help you um, become better traders. I'm not here to describe trading as an easy concept. I've listened to a lot of um, Jack's webinars and seminars and i've gathered some questions here that i think would help you out so my first question is this from the time you have written your first book of market wizards are today's traders need a different set of tools or characteristics in order to succeed in the marketplace
2: well different approaches may be in some cases because the structure of markets has changed uh uh I don't know, for example, if crypto is going to be a legitimate market long term or not, but obviously there were no crypto markets back then uh, or even uh, a few years ago of consequence. Um, also, I, I just think in terms of, well, I, I mentioned to you that I was working in a, on a new market wizard book and one I've interviewed a few people so far. In one of the, one of my interviews, uh, the, the trader uses a technique that just, couldn't exist before, because he uses, literally, he uses uh, data from social media uh, to gauge when there's an inordinate amount of talk about something. And that's actually the the key component of what he's doing. So in terms of technique, you know, that's that's an approach that didn't exist before. In fact, um, I was thinking, I said, I'm going to title that chapter Neither, because people are so used to saying, "Are oh, you a fundamentalist or a technical analyst?" Well, here's somebody who's neither. You know, he's not using fundamental analysis, not using he just now is using uh, uh, social media um, indications, which just like didn't, you know, it's a completely different way of doing things. So yeah, so because market structures have changed, some things have changed, but underlying principles um, are still are still the same. Um, so um, certain elements of trading are tied to human emotion and, and go counter to human nature to be successful. And those elements are the same through time. So there are certainly big common denominators, regardless of whether you're talking now, or when I wrote the first Mark Wizards book, which I guess is like 30 years ago, uh, or if you go back to a book like Reminiscences of a Stock Operator, which I was reading 65 years later before I wrote my first book. And that was still pertinent then to me, just like I hope my, my market wizard books will still be pertinent 65 years later. And they're at least seemingly pertinent. still 30 years later by, by virtue of still selling. So, uh, the answer is both. It, it, it's the markets have changed and that that changes some of the techniques. Um, some things that worked before may not work now, but the basic elements of what makes trading a trader successful, that remains the same
1: through time. Such as risk management, you know, watching your equity, understood. My next question is this. What does a successful trader worry about as opposed to a beginner trader? So you have somebody who's successful in trading and you have somebody who's starting out, and not doing that well. From your experience, I've noticed you, in one of your lectures, you said something about what they worry about are totally different things. So can you elaborate on that, please? Sure, uh, well, uh, successful traders worry about,
2: or, or focus on not losing money. Um, beginning traders, or traders who really haven't learned the art yet, worry about how they are gonna make a fortune. So, it's a completely different emphasis.
1: And, and you find that it's more emphasis on risk management as opposed to methodology? Yeah, absolutely. So,
2: if you interviewed 100 successful traders, virtually all of them would tell you that making sure they preserve their capital or risk management is by far more important than how they get into the trade. Um, again, <laughs> thinking of another interview I just did for the book I'm working on. Um, he, uh, so that, that trader is basically using chart analysis as approach and traded for decades, many decades using chart analysis and very, very successfully. But when questioned about how effective are charts, how much of an edge is there? He's the first one to admit very, very little edge remains. Uh, I mean, to some extent, charts have become too popular. You have to adapt from it in many ways. But the edge comes not according to him, not according to me. His edge comes not from the fact that he's using charts. That's just a way to signal a trade. But the edge comes from his risk management. And I would agree that uh, having discussed his, his approach in detail, that that's probably true. So the, the message is that beginning traders think, it's all about finding the, the way how to get into a trade. Where actually that's not right. It's really all about how to get out of a trade. Getting out of a trade means two things. It means first and foremost, getting out of a trade without that trade damaging your ability to continue trading, or in other words, damaging your your um, your, your trading stake, so to speak. Uh, and it also is a matter of having some idea. Okay, well, if the trade works, where do you get out? So but there's more emphasis on getting out than getting in I would say among professional traders about the importance of of getting out as opposed to as opposed to finding a great way to get into a trade.
1: Thank you. Okay, my next question is about the return belief system that beginner traders have whether they're day traders or um, you know swing traders can you talk a little bit about the consistency in trading in terms of returns? For long term traders, I think a lot of the retail traders, for example, think if they'll put X amount of dollars, they can get X amount of dollars consistently per month. Do you find that amongst good traders, there is consistency or they're just all over the place? And in the end, you just average their returns to something which is positive. How how, even the best traders out there, what are the real fluctuations in, in, in their equity? Well, there are some traders who had
2: amazing consistency, but they are the exception. So I think of somebody like Ed Thorpe, who was actually famous to the world not as a trader, but because he wrote this famous book on on how to beat the house in blackjack and and he was a math professor basically. And um, so but but as a as a hedge fund manager, he had an unbelievable, he actually had two different hedge funds. He had one and then restart another one years later. But like taking his first hedge fund, which lasted 19 years, 19 years, he had three losing months in 19 years and, and all three months were less than a 1% loss. So and I think about the probability of that, uh, of his track record, um, you know, that many wins versus just a, such, such tiny losses. And under conservative assumptions, his probability of getting that record was less than the probability of selecting one atom one atom out of anywhere in the mass of the Earth, not the surface, but the entire mass of the Earth, and then randomly selecting another atom and getting the same atom. So that probability is so far. It's, so I have to explain it by analogy because the number is so large, people can't comprehend. So a track record like that is so super consistent, it, it's just mind-boggling. But he did it because he found ways that there were inefficiencies in the market and he was able to exploit them. Uh, but that's unusual to get that type of consistency. you take a more ordinary, not more ordinary, but a more standard approach to trading. You no know, traders, like I mentioned, one of the fellows I, I interviewed for this new book, he's been trading like 40 years, but he still has a few, you know, he still has two or three or four losing years in there. Now, yeah, I mean, so if he made 36 years of profits and four years of losses, that ends up to being a pretty darn good record. But for the most part, even really good traders you know, we'll have periods where they lose money. And the, the idea, in fact, one of the things I, one of the lessons I, I try to give is um, don't, don't think in terms of objective. Don't say that my, I'm going to make 30% a year this year or whatever number it is, right. because that's not realistic. The market is not a machine that spits out a constant number of opportunities regardless of what your approach is. It'll be, no matter how you approach the market, technical, fundamental, or whatever way, that methodology, there's gonna be times where it's working well and there's times where it's not. There's gonna be times where there's opportunities, there's gonna be times where there's not. So it's it's unrealistic to expect this kind of constant opportunity. And if you do, and you have some goal that you feel you have to reach, then what's gonna end up happening is you're gonna you're going to put on trades where there's really no opportunity. You're going to risk money where you shouldn't be risking money and it'll only be detrimental. So, no, there'll be times where it'll be great years if you're, if you're a good trader, of course. And there'll be times where even if you're a really good trader doing everything right, you'll still lose money. Even the best traders, with rare exception, will go through periods where they lose money just because it's a probability game. Uh, and... Uh, no matter, even if you have a very good approach, you're gonna lose a certain percent at a time. And if you do things, you know, like if you toss 10 coins in a year, it's not gonna usually, it's gonna be rare for, it to, not rare, but it's gonna be uncommon for it to turn up all 10 heads, but one out of 1,024 times, it will be all heads. And if you're, if you're trading thousands of trades, that means, you know, if you had, a, if you were equal chance of winning or losing, and for many traders, there are less than equal because they make more than they gain. But if you say equal chance of winning or losing, then it's, you should expect you'll have 10 losses in a row. So um, you need to understand that even just random probability will result in good traders having streaks where they lose
1: money. Thank you. Um, I also noticed that you mentioned that when you examine good traders, focusing on returns alone is probably very misleading. I want you to elaborate on that. I understand the concept because I understand of somebody who achieves 10% being a day trader versus achieving 10% in selling premiums. But elaborate more with professional traders that you met and the risk that they take. What is beyond returns? Okay, well, first of all, you know, because
2: I've been in a position many you know, in different roles in my life, uh, where I have to evaluate traders. And I tell traders that I the least important statistic is, is return. Because we have, traders say, Oh, I made 50% last year, here's my and, and I, I say that not facetious. I'm not being facetious when I say returns are the least important statistic, because it by itself, returns are a meaningless number. So I can prove that very easily. So everybody listening to this broadcast, listen carefully, because I'm going to tell you how to double, if you're a profitable trader, I'm going to tell you how to double the money you're making. Proof, you know, absolutely, uh, definitely this will work if you do everything the same. If you want to double your profits, all you have to do is double the size of your trades. Now, does that make you twice as good of a trader? No. All it means is you're taking twice as much risk. You'll have more chance of, uh, of being knocked out of the game. Uh, So the amount of return by itself doesn't mean anything. It depends on what risk you're taking to get that return. And uh, I only look at return risk statistics. So return is only a numerator in some statistic by itself. It just really has no meaning Uh, because you can have people. In fact, I think I've used this analogy in one of my books. Imagine you have two traders. They they form, they together, they're technical in nature and they're computerized and they come up with this trading system. But one, one, one of the guys is very risk uh, tolerant. He wants to trade 30% margin of equity. And the other guy is very risk averse. He wants to trade 5% margin of equity. And they can't agree. So they finally separate. They form two separate companies. They trade the exact same system, but one guy is trading. 30% margin equity, one guy's trading 5% margin equity. So, um, it's just a difference of how much leverage they're using, uh, one is using versus the other. Now, one is gonna make a lot more money for a lot more risk, and the other one's vice versa. But it doesn't mean that one's a better trader than the other. In fact, I've, I've just given you an example where they're trading the exact same system. So it's a question of your individual risk tolerance. And the fact that you're making money by taking more risk doesn't make you a better trader, It just means that you're willing to take a lot more risk and that has its own downsides.
1: Thank you. My next question is, how are successful traders adjust to different markets? Meaning that, you know, I'm dealing with retails and in retail, it's like fashion. You know, they jump from one method to another. One month it's price action. The next one is Fibonacci. The third one is, you know, market profile. They say this one, this one, and that one. And I know this is not the right approach. The professional traders, how do they adjust to different market conditions in the marketplace when there's higher volatility, lower volatility? I know traders that you yourself consulted like Tudor Jones. He traded as a, in the 70s as a pit trader and he trades today as well. How do they go through all those decades with, with success and maintaining a reasonable drawdown that doesn't kill their trading
2: account. Well, they yeah they do adapt to markets. Um, doesn't mean they change their methodology necessarily. Uh, only if the methodology stops working uh, for whatever reason. But by adapting, you talked about volatility. So, for example, one of the uh, one of the traders I interviewed, a hedge fund manager, um, in a book called Hedge Fund Market Wizards, sort of talked about the. 2008 period where volatility had tremendously increased. And his point was when the markets become much more volatile, you just have to trade much smaller. So he recounted like he would run into hedge fund managers and they would say, oh yeah, these markets are really crazy. I've cut cut my trading size in half. And he would think, cut your trading size in half, the market volatility has increased fivefold. So even though they thought they were adapting, they really weren't sufficiently because They didn't fully adjust for the change of volatility. So uh, that's an example, which you mentioned, that the trader has to adapt. If if a market's much more volatile, it's not the same as trading the market when it's much less volatile. Uh, There are times where markets become much more correlated, you know, risk on, risk off. So they normally say something like commodities and stocks go, go in different. They don't have any correlation. In fact, if anything, Commodities are more likely even sometimes to go up when the market's down, you know. So if anything, over time, there may be an inverse correlation. But we had we periods uh, in the last decade where you had risk on, risk off. And markets that was as unrelated or even inversely related to stocks and, and commodities will be going up together. Well, if you're in that type of market, then you have to be cognizant of that because a lot of your positions may be going up and down the same. And that means there's a lot more risk in your portfolio than there wouldn't otherwise be. So you always have to be cognizant of the environment that you're trading in and, and specifically the risk that, that is associated with that environment. And there's another element of it is markets don't always continue um, in a way that the same techniques will work over time. So, for example, trend following was extremely effective in the early days, you know, uh, when in my first Market Wizards book, uh, and I was talking to traders who had started trading. In that case, where traders had started as early as the late 1960s and late 1960s or 70s, during those periods, you had trend following was working tremendously well because it was new. I mean, uh, uh, you know, we were still dealing, you know, pre PCs. Uh, people warrant warrant, not you know, computerizing systems. But you go from that world to where everybody and his brother can have, you know, a trend-following system, and it, the, the approach begins to lose. Now, it doesn't mean markets don't have trends anymore. Markets still trend, but they do. So now, typically, in such a choppy, volatile fashion that there'll be so many whipsaw losses that'll make sure – That the markets, uh, it'll make sure that people end up net losing, even if there is a trend. So uh, uh, it doesn't mean that market trends don't exist. It just means the simple methods of exploiting them don't work anymore. Uh, By and large, I mean, I guess if they stop working, if they work badly enough for long enough, they'll start working again simply because because people will abandon it. And... uh, you know, if too many people are doing something, it's just not going to work. And I guess, you know, it's totally possible the technique will work better again in the future because so many people will be discouraged. Um, actually, analogously, it has nothing to do with trend following or, or tech, uh, technical analysis. But this comes from the world of, of pure of somebody who's a pure fundamentalist, uh, uh, Joel Greenblatt of Gotham Capital. He uh, He's a value investor, so and he completely... Uh, i mean wouldn't look at a chart uh but he had a saying which kind of makes the same point he said um, his, his, his three rules of value investing um and his three rules were one value investing works two value investing doesn't work all the time and three rule two is rule why rule one works so if it worked all the time everybody would do it and it uh, but the fact that you can go through a period like uh, 99, late 1988, 99, where the smartest people like Buffett, and, you know, the smartest investors uh, were losing money and and the, the dumbest investors were, were making money by buying these stocks that a year later would be worthless, but they were just getting on the, the train of uh, internet stocks. Uh, so in a situation like that, Value investing not only doesn't work, but it's it's it was horrible. But because you get periods like that, is why it works over time. So uh, that's that's the way markets are, and it goes back to the point you just talked about earlier: consistency. Well, the markets are like that. They no approach will be
1: consistent through time. Thank you. Um, I want to talk about the traders that started in the beginning, and they had a lot of challenges, so they didn't succeed and later on they succeeded first i wanted to know what in your opinion or from your observation made them continue when they lost money because a lot of traders come in they lose money and then they move on to either other asset classes or they just move on from trading but those who succeeded what do you think they why did they continue i'm really looking specifically i'm asking more about their nature and what they improved in their trading in order to get to where they are to be consistent from, I, I shouldn't say failure because nobody was born, born a trader, but let's say from being challenged by the markets to being more successful, what have they done?
2: Well, uh, there are actually surprisingly, if you read all the Market Wizard interviews, a surprisingly large number failed in the beginning. It's,
0: right. it's, the,
2: it's the exceptions that were successful right from the beginning. There are some, but but, but they really are the exception. And so, and I think of the, I can go back to the very first chapter of the first Market Wizard book, a fellow by the name of Michael Marcus, somebody who would be completely unknown to the world if it weren't for the book. I mean, I just, I knew him personally. Um, I even had work for him. Um, but in any case, Michael, uh, and he just was, he started out and just one, blew out one account after another, even, even at one point where he thought he was starting to make it, made some money, then, bar- then bet it all on one trade, and even borrowed from his mother. He came from a lower middle-class uh, background, so uh, it wasn't like he had wealth in his family, on the contrary. And he, then he ended up losing all his own money again and, and a portion of his mother's uh, meager savings. Uh, when I asked him, you know, like, as we were recounting all these failures, one after the other, didn't you ever, didn't you ever think of just giving up? And he kind of uses it not literally, but like you know the scene in Fiddler on the Roof, where Tebby is talking to God, and he's he doesn't like again, he doesn't mean it literally, but he says like you got to the point. He's like looking up and saying, God, am I really that you know, you know, hopeless? And he just heard or just said that that no, you just you know you can you can do it. You know you have the, you just have to continue. So he just had this he had this inner belief that. He could do it now. I'm sure some people may have that belief and they're wrong. But in his case, of course, it was right. And he became enormously successful. Uh, so with the lesson of that, I guess I draw two lessons from this whole thing. Uh, one is early failure doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a failure long term. I mean, there's lots of stark examples that I've come across where people failed and failed. They then were tremendously successful. And the second element is that the people who do succeed have this kind of inner drive. Just, they're just something inside of them just drives them to the point where they're ultimately successful. And, they kind of, and it doesn't have to be, of course, trading. I mean, I think this is true in almost many careers. I mean, people, you know, have – they can start a business You know, where they feel like they're going to start a business or an internet or whatever, a company – and they may fail a couple of times and then eventually are extremely successful. So I think everybody has certain skills and certain drives and certain passions of what they want to do. And so for the right people, that that they just don't give up. They just don't give up on their on their objective and goal. And that's that's kind of a unifying theme of all these traders who initially failed. And of course. To become successful, they, they eventually learned what they were doing wrong and they had to change what they were doing. But,
1: but they had this, this just refusal to give up. And those who are successful um, or successful traders outside of trading and outside the markets, do you find that they have a certain way that they think of things or certain behavior traits that they have outside of trading and outside their office that is common to all of them? the way they think they view the world or just i i i was just curious if i was i was always curious you know a friend of mine asked me once can somebody paint fences that who paints fences become you know a good trader and i truly didn't know what to answer because i don't know the process that it takes You know, to become a good trader, I know people are good traders, and I see that all of them had good careers. They were successful even prior to trading, but you know, I just wanted to know what kind of habits a person can adopt in his day-to-day life that would help him in his trading. Are they early rises? Do they exercise a lot? Do they read? I mean, what do you notice about them that is common to them, which is more common success? You You know, know, common to success.
2: Right. Uh, uh, These these traits you talk about, these personal. It's remarkable how how there are no common denominators. You know, in, in the Wizard books, I'm always trying to get to the message of what are the common denominators, but they're never anything to do with personality or traits. So some are conservative, some are liberal, some are really nice, quiet, spoken people. Some are some are you wouldn't want them as a neighbor. You know, um, some are uh, you know. I don't know, very active physically, uh, extremely active, uh, almost athletic. And some some don't want to get off the couch to get, you know, get a bag of potato chips. I mean, just so it's it really ranges all over the map. So I've never found any personality types or that that are common to traders. And some could be brilliant, you know, some could be brilliant, uh, brilliant academically. And some, you know, dropped out of college and, you know, they, they have, obviously have some sort of smarts for trading or whatever, but not necessarily book smarts. So it really does vary tremendously. And, and I don't have any common denominators when it comes to that.
1: I, I'm glad you answered that because I, I, I'd like to think that if somebody puts enough effort to study about risk management and, you know, listen to people like yourself, you know, have experience with good traders, would be able to adopt it. Um, I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about your projects and give you the stage a little bit about things that you do. I want to talk about fund seeder. Um, I want to, well, obviously I want to find uh, traders in Optimus that would be able to fit the fund seeder model. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're looking for, how you put it together? What are the parameters that people need to fit that you would even consider them? you know, for, um, to raise capital. But let's talk about Fundseeder in general and its purpose.
2: Okay, so, so, fund basically, uh, I should say right up front, it wasn't my concept, it was my colleague, uh, Emmanuel Bellari, who I think you know.
1: He's a great guy.
2: Uh, yeah, and so, Emmanuel and I first met each other, I was working for a, uh, a, uh, a London-based hedge fund advisory firm called uh, Fortune Asset Management. Uh, fortune got admi- admired. Fortune got acquired by Close Brothers, which is a merchant bank in the UK. I was the only U.S. employee. I was a partner, and I just at that point there was no point in my staying with a big company which had very little to do with, with alternative uh, investment. So we negotiated out everybody, you know, on terms that we were both happy with. And uh, actually, I took a sabbatical then to write. To write uh, uh, the 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 British have this nice thing called garden. <laughs> I was a garden leave or something like that, where where in this type of deal you kind of get paid for for a period of time for doing absolutely nothing, you know. So, and you just get a salary. That was part of our, our agreement. But anyway, I took that time to write uh, hedge fund market wizards and another book, market. Center. I thought that's
1: I thought that's only in France for two months during the summer. Said you know, <laughs> Marcus, nonsense was the other book. Uh, but,
2: but also after that, uh, well, one of our clients was uh, was ADM uh, and the manual... Had a, had a subsidiary with ADM and the idea was to form, they wanted to form a, a, a commodity a CTA type portfolio. And since that was my focus uh, with uh, Fortune, I tried to get them to do managed account structures. So in any case, uh, we picked up from there. So that's where we know each other. So one time we were at a uh, conference and we're having dinner and Emmanuel throws this idea out about and The basic concept is, you know, to create a, a global, you know, uh, um, a, a net, you know, uh, on a web-based uh, uh, location where you could connect traders who uh, really have no access to capital and uh, undiscovered traders who might have skill but no way, no way, collecting uh, connecting with with uh, with uh, investors, and on the other hand. Invest Investors or uh, uh, companies that, that, that you know, run investments that are looking for new emerging managers, sort of be a connection between the two, kind of a global hub. And um, that was a basic concept. And I said, you know, that's a pretty good idea. And, and part of the concept was to have the uh, trading records come from uh, directly from brokers as opposed to. Because if you have traders submitting, you don't know what's right, what's wrong, you know what's true, what's not. And so that was the whole, that was the general concept. And the concept was then to, uh, well, to connect uh, investors and traders. Although now, as we've evolved, really the focus now is a little different. It's not much different. It's still to find global trading talent. And by global, we have like literally traders from more than 100 countries signed up. So literally to find uh, Globally, traders who have skill but not necessarily access to any the way of earning money besides their own trading, but no way to, to multiply that in some way by also having asset management. And on the other hand, people who want to tap into that skill. So, what we're doing now thought, is to construct a, uh, an index of those traders, and actually just one to begin with, but there'll be others. And so that's the basic concept. And we have a, we do, in fact, we've been running for multiple years now, almost four years, a fund seed trader index where we take the top traders, the top 5% of traders uh, measured by by our proprietary risk, return risk measure, not return. Uh, So we take the top traders, top 5% at the end of any month, and they become the traders that are assumed to be. Equally allocated to in the following month, and that forms it, the index track record. So the index has no hindsight because the traders that are in the index at in, on any given day were selected as a performance at the end of the prior month. And it changes every month, the portfolio changes. So that index has done, has done quite well on a return risk basis. And uh, so we're, we're currently in the process of, uh, to, of, create, uh, of turning that into an investment product. And so uh, bottom line, traders who are part of the index would get compensated for being in the index. And, uh, and we would be tapping into trading talent that is not accessible anywhere else. So that's the long and short of it.
1: Great. Um, I hope to integrate one day into that platform. I think it's one of the better platforms out there. I've seen its uh, parameters that you use. And I think even for individuals who follow their own trading, I think you did a great job. You know, just to let you know from my experience, I've seen I've some of my customers turned into CTAs. And I think the biggest challenge that I've seen for some of them is actually the psychology of trading other people's money. It really burdened them. I've seen it. I, I've seen amazing track records that have been there from three to five to six years. And the minute you give the money, just I, I always tell them it's not just the trading. It's going to be the pressure of working with customers and a customer picks up the phone and he says, you know, we're down 5%. Do you think you're going to recover? All the brokers in the world, that call CTAs. What have you gone long? Obviously, you should have gone short. And I tell them that plays a big role in their psychology. You're going to be a very strong character of really never to listen to anybody. You've said it a thousand times, but I've, I've seen it from real practical experience that as a trader, you can't listen to anyone. You know, not the brokers, not your customers, just continue what you're doing. Um, yeah. I uh, My last question was actually, it's something that you said. You said in one of your seminars, I, I think you did it in Denver, I, I think, I'm not sure, that you said good trading is effortless, right. right? I really need you to expand on that because you also mentioned that you've seen a lot of traders that you believe i think you said that you don't believe that a way to recover is work harder right when you're going through bad periods can you explain this the concept of effortless work versus you know the sure. demar Go
2: ahead.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah in my talks on trading i kind of uh, actually in the same talk i will make the point that hard work is essential you know many people want to get the markets because they want an easy way to make a lot of money And I point out that people who have really been successful are very hard workers, but right after that, shortly after that, I make the point that you just said, that good trading is effortless. And that sounds kind of paradoxical. I mean, like, I can't make up my mind, is it hard work or is it effortless? And the answer is it's both. So the hard work is involved in kind of developing a methodology and doing all the research and keeping it up and being disciplined. And there's a lot of things that go into the hard work part of it. Mostly, of course, is coming up with a methodology that works. That that really takes a lot of effort. Uh, but when you're actually trading, and here this I'm a, this I mean to apply to people who are trading discretionary. If you have a trading system, then then it's not an issue because the trading system's running and it's running. I mean, okay. And if the trading system is a valid system, is a good system, then if it's going through a drawdown, then you should let it alone because. You know, it's that's part of the if it's within its normal boundaries, that's part of the process. But for probably the majority of traders who trade not by an automated system, but are making decisions, then virtually every trader will run into the situation where even if they're doing everything they're supposed to be doing, they're gonna just, just go through if There's everything they do is wrong. I mean, by wrong, I mean not methodologically wrong but wrong in terms of wrong with what the market is giving them. They may be doing the right thing, but the market is giving them a loss and it's whatever they do sort of ends up ending the loss and just it's frustrating periods and virtually all traders go through it. So my point is when you get to a period where every decision you make seems to end up like you know, virtually heavy, I mean, they just end up being wrong in terms of losing money now, not in terms of contradicting your methodology, then you can't just try harder. You can't do more trades to make it good. You have to, you have to, you know, you have to just move away. Uh, when I ask traders when things are going bad, bad during bad periods, what do you do? And the answer is typically, well, I I I, I stop trading. Well, it could be for a few days, it could be a few weeks, but they just stop. Or they might just cut their one. One, one trader said, well, he just he might trade two thousand contracts. You know, at some point, you know, normally. But if it's going back or cut back or cut back, it might cut back to 10 contracts, you know? So you just drastically cut your position. So the losses relative to your equity size is not consequential. Now that doesn't work for a tiny trader, but if you know people have any type of size of account, that could work. You just cut down the size, but more often than not, the answer is you don't do, you know, you just stop trading so you can kind of come back for a clean slate and start again, but trading, trying harder doesn't work. And there's a quote, um, one trade one I, mean, I use from one of the traders, where he asked me, uh, "Did you ever read? Did you ever read a book called Zen and the Art of Archery?" And uh, I, I kind of say half jokingly, "I'm afraid I missed that." And he said, "No, I'm absolutely serious." And he quotes, and I, I use this quote. I quote him exactly here. He said, "Whenever there's any effort, force, struggling, straining." or are tra- trying, it's wrong. And everybody who's been a trader knows the truth of those words. So when it's not going well, you can't fight against it. You have to just, you know, go, end of that round, go away, you'll come back another time.
1: I know the trader. That's the trader that actually you couldn't publish, right? That's yeah. the trader that, yeah. Well. First of all, I wanted to, that's all the questions I have, um, to our viewers out there. I just wanted to let you know, we're going to list the fun Seater website, the links below, we're going to link all, um, Jack's books, the market wizards, and, uh, all the books that he wrote below. So you can purchase them on Amazon. Jack is going to come up with a new website when he does, we're going to publish it as well. When he comes up with new books, we're going to keep to update this link because what I think you do is just incredible. It's amazing the amount of time that you have dedicated over your life to just help traders and say it like it is. Because i got to tell you something, in our industry, this is not the case. So I'm happy there's people who are down to earth who say it like it is. And hopefully they'll inspire the next generation of traders out there. Jack, again, thank you for your time. Thank and you. uh, hopefully we'll see you again here at the Studios. Okay. All the best. Thank you, Jack.
0: Thank you for listening to the Optimist Futures podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, all under the username Optimist Futures. If you have any questions, feel free to send us an email to support at optimistfutures.com or give us a call directly at 561-367-8686 or toll free at 1-800-771-678. 48 Once again, thank you for listening to the Optimist Futures podcast. Please remember that this matter should be viewed as a solicitation to trade. Trading futures and options involves substantial risk of loss and is not suitable for all investors. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. You should therefore carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your financial condition. Optimus Futures LLC is not affiliated with, nor does it endorse any trading system, methodologies, newsletter, or similar service. We urge you to conduct your own due diligence.